Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Today's scripture will be from Psalm 138, uh, page 617 in the Black Pew Bible. Psalm 138, beginning in verse 1. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. For they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. It's Thanksgiving week. We all have a lot to be thankful for. You're going to have an opportunity here in just a few moments to to be thankful. You can stand and offer up a word of prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord so you can be thinking about that. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, page 1116 in the Black Pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to pick up the Black Bible in front of you. Turn to page 1116. We're looking at the Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23 give you a little background here. Paul, after he finished his three mission trips where he started new churches, Paul planned on going to Jerusalem because he had been collecting an offering for the poor there in Jerusalem. He wanted to deliver that offering on his way to Spain. He had never been to Rome, but there were churches there most likely started from some of his converts from other cities that had, that had moved to Rome. In the late 40s, according to Suetonius, a Roman historian, he says the Jews and the Jewish Christians were having some conflict over the nature of Christ and who Christ was. It was no small disturbance. So Claudius, the emperor, banished the Jews from Rome in 49 AD. So all the Jews had to leave Rome. And then when Nero became emperor in 54 AD, many of the Jewish Christians, they came back to, to Rome to find the church that they had left looked a lot less Jewish than it once did. And so there were some issues there in the church. You had Jewish believers, Gentile believers, and they had some conflicts. And so Paul is writing, firstly, to promote unity among the, the Jewish and Gentile believers in the church there in Rome. But he also wanted to introduce himself to them He wanted to solicit some support. He wanted to go to Spain to preach the gospel where it hadn't been preached. And so he's asking them to to help with that. And he also wanted to help clear up some misrepresentations of the gospel in chapter 3. But in the first few verses of chapter 1, Paul introduces himself to the Roman believers and also reminds them of the gospel. And Paul is so thankful for this church, for their faith that they have. And he he wants to go there so they can be mutually encouraged. And he also wants to share the gospel. And the reason he wants to share the gospel is because he knows the gospel is the power of God. 
What that means is that's how people are saved. They hear the gospel of Jesus and they can repent and believe. In the gospel, see, we see a righteousness that is by faith. Well, just as the righteousness of God is revealed through the gospel, the wrath of God is revealed as well. Let's look at verses 18 through 23 of Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read this and we'll come back and, and talk about it. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, and they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you brought us here. We're providentially brought here on this beautiful Sunday morning. And there's familiar faces. And Lord, there's some unfamiliar faces. And Father, we trust that you're going to do a work today. That you're going to use me, imperfect and fallible, fallible as I am. And you're going to use this word, this text to bring encouragement, to bring conviction. And we ask you would do that. Father, if your spirit doesn't move in the hearts of people, this is, a, this is a, a wasted effort. We ask that you would use our time together as we study, that we would be the church that you want us to be, and that lost people would be pricked by your spirit as they hear the sweet gospel message. Father, you are a sweet, loving God, but you're also a, a just God who pours out wrath on sinners. So, Father, do your work today. May we leave edified and may the lost be saved even this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul, here in our text, is referring to the ungodly and the unrighteous. Now, this would be the Gentiles of Paul's day. But if you're a Jew of Paul's day, you shouldn't gloat because Paul is going to get to you and in just a few chapters. He's going to lump you together with the godless Gentile soon. But verse 18 tells us that these Gentiles, they're ungodly and unrighteous because they suppress the truth. What does it mean to suppress the truth? Look at verse 19 through 20. It says that there's some godless Gentiles that suppress the truth. They know there's a God because of what God has created. It's plain to them. God has shown it to them. He manifests Himself to man. And He does that, doesn't He, in millions of ways. Think about how God has revealed Himself to us in nature. You think about the seed that's planted. I remember when these trees in this, in this parking lot were planted years and years ago. And what happens to those seeds? They become mighty trees. Think about the birds, how they migrate. I was at a, a friend's house in Burleson this week, and he has a lot of houses in the bird houses in the back. I said, You've got a lot of bird houses here. He goes, Yeah, they're Martin houses. I really love seeing the, the Martins. He says, You know, those Martins, they're either in South America or on their way to South America as we speak. But in the spring, 
they'll be back. He said, isn't that amazing? I said, yeah, God's amazing. He said, he sure is. There are over 10 million species of insects in the world, much to Clarabeth's chagrin. Those Japanese, what we call ladybugs, right? The Japanese beetles, they've been everywhere, haven't they? Yeah. Um, why a little girl would be scared of a ladybug, I don't know. Um, think about the earth. God has made this, this world. and Think about the earth. It's 25,000 miles in circumference. It weighs, check this out, 13 billion trillion tons. It spins at 1,000 miles per hour with absolute precision. It careens through space around the sun at a speed of 1,000 miles per minute. And the orbit is 580 billion miles long. Pretty amazing world we live in, huh? Think about the head of a comet. We get to see those from time to time. It can be from 10,000 to a million miles long and travel at speeds of 350 miles per second. Think about that little baby boy or baby girl you hold in your arms. Think about that sweetness. God, he, he did all that. He did it to prove to us, to man, that He exists and that He's worthy of our worship. Now, one of the Bible says in Psalm 14, 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God, right? See, there's simply no place on earth, there's no place on the face of the earth where man can escape the witness of God in creation. Paul says that these unrighteous people, they have no excuse. And that goes for people who hear the gospel time and time and time and time again, and also for those who have never heard the gospel. <coughs> See, the man on the island, we talk about him sometimes, don't we? The man on the island who's never heard the gospel, what about him? Is he culpable? Indeed, he is. He doesn't have to hear the gospel to know that God exists. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to hear the gospel to rebel against his Creator. And that's what each and every man on the island does. God has made it clear to them. So the supposed atheist who says there's no God or the agnostic who says I'm not sure, they're both culpable along with you and I. See, mankind knows that God created the world, but many don't want to acknowledge it. Every sunset we see, Laura Lee, we like sunsets. Miss Cindy, we, we text each other. Brother Ronald, we, we live in Candy Lane. There's a beautiful, beautiful sunsets, and we, we see those often. And if we're not home, somebody will text, hey, you see the sunset? It's beautiful. No, I'm, I'm not. Um, but every time you hold that newborn baby, every waterfall that you see, it just testifies to God's existence, and it testifies to the worth worthiness of God. Even Helen Keller, remember Helen Keller? As a young girl, she, was, she became ill, and that illness took her sight, took her hearing, and she could not speak. And so there was a lady, a tutor, her name is Ann Sullivan, and she worked tirelessly and selflessly to help Helen Keller learn to communicate. And eventually, she learned 
She learned through touching. She even learned how to talk a bit. And when Ann Sullivan tried to tell her about this wonderful creator, you know what Helen Keller communicated to her? Helen Keller said she already knew about him. She just didn't know, didn't know his name. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, God, he reveals himself to us, doesn't he? But those godless people, they suppress that, don't they? They don't want to acknowledge it, even though they know it to be true. Verse 21, look, notice what characterizes these, these Gentiles who reject God. What does it say here? It says, for although they, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. So the first char characteristic of a, a person who suppresses the truth is that they don't honor God. They don't honor Him. They don't worship Him. It's, it's like the Tower of Babel all over again. You remember that story? God had commanded all of Noah and his family's descendants to, to scatter and, and multiply and fill the earth. And they didn't. They congregated in one city, living together, and they wanted to not promote God's name, but they wanted to promote their own. And so they started to build a tower that would reach up into the heavens and give themselves a reputation. What did God do? He poured out His judgment upon those people and He scattered them and He confused their languages. They coveted the honor that God deserves. See, they wanted it for themselves. And they don't say, well, God's been so gracious to me. He's helped me get this great job and He's helped me have a comfortable home and He's given me this wonderful family to enjoy. No, they don't say things like that. They say, look what I've done. The godless who refuse to honor the Lord, they don't take delight in God, nor do they worship Him. In fact, in their opinion, God hasn't helped them at all. Everything good in their life is because of them. So one characteristic is they don't honor God, and the second characteristic is they don't give thanks to Him. Jeremy Burroughs wrote, Worship is not only doing what pleases God, but also being pleased with what God does. So we're, we're thankful to Him. He, we're, we're, we're telling Him we're pleased with what He's done for us and to us and with us. And, and it's interesting, it says in verse 18 that the wrath of God is revealed against these people. And sometimes we think about the wrath of God. What do you think of when you think about the wrath of God? Think about that for a second. What comes to your mind when I think about God's wrath, when I, when I say God's wrath? Now, most of you probably think about the, the, the great judgment day that's coming, right? Or, or for some of us, we maybe think about Sodom and Gomorrah with the fire and sulfur raining down. Or, or maybe Lot's wife, remember, she turned around and she pined and she, she longed for Sodom and she turns to a pillar of salt. Or maybe the, yeah, the flood, or maybe the, even Numbers 21, I think about the, the Israelites, they're grumbling against Moses, they're grumbling against God, and what does he do? He sends out fiery serpents. I'm scared to death of snakes. Mark Goforth, you scared too, are you scared of snakes too? Anyway, a, a serpent's enough, but a fiery serpent, I don't even know what that thing looks like, but that thing's scary, but it was biting people, killing people left and right. Sometimes people, you may think about that when you think about judgment, think about the wrath of God. And, and true, there's a day of judgment coming, isn't it? Called the, the great white, the white throne room judgment. It's going to be a, 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 a terrible day for, for many. And it is coming. 
But Paul tells us in this text that God is already revealing a taste of His wrath now. Well, how is that? We might ask, well, is, is he, making, he making it so that people who rebel against Him always have bad things happen to them? Well, no, not necessarily. We know people who are wicked, right, who oppose the Lord, and they have good things happen to them, right? It's called common grace. They experience the goodness of the Lord even as a rebellious, reprobate sinner. See, Paul, he says that the wrath of God is presently revealed as God gives them over to their own desires. Look at verse 24 real quickly. Therefore, right, telling us why this verse is here, it's connecting to the, the verses we just read. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. So what did God do? He let them do what they wanted to do. Look at verse 26. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Look at verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, what did God do? He gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Last look at verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. It says they know that. The people that suppress the truth that God exists and they don't acknowledge God's rule in their life, they know that. They deserve to die. They not only do them, but what do they do? They give approval when others do those things that they themselves are doing, right? So those at the gay pride rally, they're not showing that they're getting one over on God, but God allowing them to participate is actually showing them that His wrath is being poured out upon them. Isn't that something? Those who live with another, it's not their spouse, but they, they're treating them like their spouse, opposing the Lord. They're not escaping God's wrath when all these, they live in with someone that's not their wife, but all these good things happen to them. They're making a lot of money and good things are happening. They seem to be having a good time. Is God not doing anything? Well, no, God may be giving them over to wallow in their sin. And in, in so doing, they're experiencing the wrath of God. And you say, well, I don't really understand that exactly. I'm, I'm thinking fire and sulfur, right? But if sometimes the wrath of God is, is people just living their lives, letting them do what they want to do. See, it would be gracious of God to point out that sinner's sin. It will be gracious of God to bring them under conviction of that sin. It will be gracious of God to grant them faith and repentance. But God is showing His wrath by doing what? Not doing those things, but giving them over to their sin, to in indulge themselves. A couple points from our text today. Firstly, is ungratefulness is a characteristic of the unbelieving. We, we said two characteristics of those who suppress the truth. Number one is they don't honor God. The second thing is they don't give thanks to Him. And it's, it's Thanksgiving week, right? That's why I chose this text. I want to point this out to us this morning. Ungratefulness is a characteristic of the unbelieving. Lost people are ungrateful. 
Those who wallow in their sin, rebel against the Lord, they're intrinsically ungrateful to God. That's a characteristic of people who don't know the Lord. I mean, mankind, apart from grace of God, is, is very much so ungrateful people. You see, it's, it's interesting. We have a sense, mankind in general, those, when I say mankind, I mean those opposed to the Lord, they have a sense of entitlement. See, God owes us everything. They think everything we're given, well, He owes it to us anyway. And in fact, many people say, well, it's not given to me at all. I earned it. Everything I've got, I've earned, right? So they see nothing as a gift. They see nothing as a gift. See, what happens is thanklessness and pride, they go hand in hand. And what does the Bible say? How does God treat the proud? How does God treat the proud? Yeah. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The thankless person and the prideful person, they, they, they walk side by side, don't they? Here, they're one and the same. And what does God do with the thankless person, the prideful person, opposes them? Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, in the last days, and we're living in the last days, by the way, thanklessness will be common. But understand this, that in the last days there will come a time of difficulty for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. What else? ungrateful and unholy. Notice the ungrateful is linked to the proud, arrogant, and unholy. Yeah, they're tied together, aren't they? And Paul, Paul in, in 1 Corinthians, he's writing this, this letter to this church that he loves. They had a lot of issues, and one of their big issues was ingratitude. It's at the heart of the problems in that church. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? I mean, no, but they were saying there were people in their church saying, no, 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 I earned it. You don't know how hard I've worked. You don't know how diligent I am. You just don't know. That's mine. I did that myself, right? Paul's saying, that's the problem. You're proud and ungrateful. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17 real quick. Luke 17. If you've got a pew Bible, it's page 1041. Turn there with me. Let's read this parable real quickly. The parable of the ten, ten lepers. Again, not being thankful is what unbelievers do, what unbelievers are. Luke 17, familiar parable. Verse 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. Now remember, back then, you know, there's, there's no Methodist north, there's no Baptist east, right? They're lepers, and there's no cure for this disease that keeps them isolated from people. They, they're not touched. They don't get embraces. They don't get kisses. They're not intimate with their spouse. They're, they're castaways. Right? As he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Just on their way. As they're walking, leprosy turned you white and your flesh would rot off. A lot of times it was your appendages, your nose, your ears. 
your fingers, your toes, you would, it would turn white and it would, it would rot. Well, as they're walking, miraculously, their flesh becomes healthy, right? Verse 15, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Where's the other nine? I mean, they have this incurable disease. They're healed miraculously. That does not happen. Where are the nine? They're ungrateful. They're thinking, if they're even thinking about God at all, you owe this to me, right? I deserve this. I should have never had the illness in the first place. But yet one Samaritan returns thanking Jesus for His mercy. Ingratitude is a characteristic of lost people. Second point is the opposite of that, of course, is thankfulness is a characteristic of the believing. We're believers if you're a part of the church. The correct response to God is gratitude. Psalm 50, verse 23. It says, The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. It's God's words. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. And why is that? Well, if God has created all things, and think about them, what, we, what do we have that is not given to us by God? Paul, as he's preaching at the Areopagus in Acts 17, verse 24 and 25, says, God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself does what? Gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Your spouse that you love so dearly, that's included in that everything. Your children, that's the everything. Your work, your money, your health, your breath, right? It's given to us by God. What did you receive that you deserved? What have you received that you deserve? I mean, I love this phrase, everything above hell is a privilege. Everything above hell is a privilege for you and I because you and I, we're that reprobate Gentile who suppresses the truth without the grace of God. We see it all through the New Testament. Paul, he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, familiar verses for you and for me. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Believers, we're grateful people. That's God's command that we be grateful. Psalm 136 verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good for His steadfast love endures forever. Colossians, this is a great, great passage. Chapter 3 verse 15 through 17. And let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing praise, psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs with what? Thankfulness in your heart to God. Yep. 
We need to be thankful. We should be thankful. If you're redeemed, if you're a believer, you should be a thankful person. I mean, His wrath is revealed against those who have yet to yield to Christ. Those who suppress the truth, neglect to honor Him. They don't want to worship Him. They want to be worshipped. They don't give Him thanks for good gifts. It's because of what they, they've earned it themselves. It hasn't been given. His wrath is revealed against those people. He allows them to do what they want to do. The unbeliever is characterized by ingratitude and pride. William Barclay, again, he writes, Ungratefulness and pride go hand in hand. Where one goes, the other walks with it. The prideful heart is the thankless heart and is at enmity with God. But we believers, we're characterized, should be characterized by observable gratitude, right? Because everything we have is a gift from the Lord. So let's be thankful. This week is Thanksgiving week. We have a lot to be thankful for. I hope that, that, for, that phrase, I've heard a preacher say that years ago, everything above hell is a privilege and it's stuck in my mind. It's something I think about a lot. But it's by way of application. Let me give you something, Brady, just something to, to think about. Let's be thankful this week as a church family. I, I don't know how many of you have devotionals. You don't have them every night, I know. But some of you have them a lot of nights. I want to encourage you. I was at uh, Amy, um, Amy Kellum's and Daniel's house about, I don't know, it's been, how long has it been? Two months ago? Two months ago. And I was over there eating dinner, and my family was out of town. And so I was there. They invited me for dinner and uh, cooked for me. And um, I got to participate in their family devotion time. It was real sweet. They got Gary in there, and they read the scriptures and had prayer time. It was real, real sweet. I know a lot of you do that. I want to encourage you, if you don't, you should try to do that. Make that a, a habit of doing it uh, as often as you can. But I want to encourage you, give you a little homework, Melanie, this week. In the evening before you go to bed, and I know some people it, it's hard because your work schedule, but when you can, get your kids together. Maybe it's just you and your wife, and that's fine too, or maybe whoever you live with. And let's just share this week before we go to bed. Just let everybody share. And if you're a man, you need to take the lead in this. This is your responsibility. Ask your, ask your family members what they're thankful for that day. And just name something specific. Just what you're thankful for. I mean, even if your, your spouse or your children are lost, they can come up with something they're thankful for, maybe. And if they can't, then you, you, you preach in the sermon I just preached about not being thankful, how that's a characteristic of a lost person that are going to, that's receiving the wrath of God, right? But let, let's do that this week with our families, okay? All who are weary, won't you come? Won't you come? Broken and empty, won't you come? Won't you come? Leave your battles and fears. There is rest for you here. Your Redeemer is near. Won't you come? All who are thirsty, won't you come? Won't you come? Yearning and hungry, won't you come? Won't you come? 
There's a river of hope. There is breath for your soul. All you need, Jesus knows. Won't you come? He is able to lift us, to heal and make free us to be our way through so come and live fully won't you come won't you come drink of his mercy won't you come won't you come there is in the storm there is grace in his arms Christ will shepherd us home won't you come won't you 